Welcome to Hopecast Extracast. <laughs> Don't worry, you haven't tuned into an ASMR podcast. This is Paul, and I'm going to be joined today by Matt and Nick. And we're going to be following up from episode two, where we talked about the concept of normal. But first, I'm going to give you a very culturally specific reference. If you were in the UK round about the end of the 1980s, 89 to 91, you probably watched Star Test. It was one of my favourite shows when I was 15, 16 years old, and particularly the spoof versions that French and Saunders did. Um, I've never stopped quoting those. For those of you who don't know about Star Test, it was a show that pretended to be very futuristic. So a celebrity of the day would be invited into this kind of cool looking warehouse and be interviewed by a computer or a computer, someone sitting behind a microphone pretending to be a computer. But they were always asked quite interesting questions. And so rather than inventing new questions to ask of Matt and Nick, I went back to a 1991 episode of Star Test where the guest was the amazing Julian Clary. And so I took some of the questions they asked Julian and asked them to our own stars. Matt, who's a drag queen, and Nick, who's a Buddhist monk. Because I wondered how similar would their answers be? How different would they be to 1991 Julian Clary? And then what would I say? So that's all from me for now. I'm going to put you in the safe, futuristic hands of our Hopecast star test questioner. Let's see what happens. Welcome to our star test. Let's start with an easy one. Is there anything memorable about the year 1991 for you? I was just being born. (laughs) Uh, I became celibate. How did you find your path to becoming a Buddhist monk or a drag queen? I, I had recently come out and I was really curious about how different religions impacted on uh, people's experience of being gay. I didn't really understand it at first, um, mainly because I didn't know anyone who was doing drag. I didn't get to speak with them and and understand that it's all about creativity and stuff. And I, yeah, I guess my own uh, prejudices and my own um, taught uh, views on what dressing exuberantly and as as another gender means um so yeah actually discovering it for myself and getting to a stage where i was really comfortable with myself to be able to make that exploration it was kind of the like the the process like all of the performing skills i'd had mixed with all my creativity and then with my gender expression it just it all sort of aligned um and yeah it just made sense the first time i went in drag i was like Aha, this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. What's normal in that world? One of the beauties of Buddhism is that uh, there isn't really a, a central dogma which defines how it should be. There's lots of different schools. So, you know, the school of Buddhism I was primarily involved with is Theravada and the norm there is to focus very much on uh, mindfulness meditation, loving kindness, uh, very simple meditations which are about training your mind, focusing your attention and then reflecting on 
the causes of suffering reflecting on the, the mind that grasps at uh, objects whether those objects are thoughts and the things I'm thinking about or whether it's external objects I I like it because there's nothing normal I think it challenges it challenges the norm um, and that's why I love it I don't I don't like things being normal and I like questioning what is the norm and how we got to that place. So I think that's something that really I get a lot from doing drag is that you can, yeah, explore all of those, those boundaries, why we do the things we do, why anything is gendered or why certain things are acceptable in, in air quotes or not um, in day to day. What's seen as abnormal in that world? It, it can be disgusting. Drag can also be something to push uh, a social message or it can be something to make people re re feel repulsed by. It can be like um, evocative. And I really, yeah, the abnormal side of it for me is that shocking, um, evocative, um, yeah, stuff that challenges the like beauty norms, I guess. You get people who get introduced to a spiritual teaching which has very lofty values around compassion, wisdom, uh, abstaining from sensual desire. And so it can be quite austere. Um, so what, what can be abnormal, particularly in maybe some circles is allowing yourself to really enjoy yourself <laughs> if you had to reinvent the idea of your identity what would you keep and what would you lose well that's a very relevant question to to the modern age um you know it's said that buddhism reinvents itself as it moves into a new culture and that that's why there's so many different forms of buddhism and why there isn't a central school of buddhism so the question really is you know now in the west we have carbon copies of all these different traditions but at some point there will be a western tradition emerge oh um i definitely lose the the idea that it has to be confined by anyone else's expectations um drag is so individual it's so unique and i think so many people try and fit into the mold which has already gone before the thing i would lose would be some of the hardness that there can be uh towards oneself i think there needs to be more boundary pushing and more yeah more shock more more um unexpected disgustingness like things that make people go oh, i can't believe they did that that's what that's what i want to see more of <laughs> how do you react to criticism i think it's definitely something that queer people struggle with um because we've been told for so long that like there is something or there's something in us that's not accepted so we try so hard to present this perfect picture and that we are able to integrate and be accepted in in society that when anyone does criticize it it hits even harder because it's like i'm doing everything i can 
to to fit in it's something i have struggled with um but i'm learning to take take criticism as a tool for me to, for personal growth and it is necessary and not to see it as as an attack or like it's coming from a thing that's undermining my self-worth uh i normally assume the person doesn't know what they're talking about <laughs> or I go into a spiral of uh, self-deprecation and feeling I should have known better and why did I make such a mess of it. So there is a need there to go into a middle way. And actually, to be fair, I mean, I can also then just hear what someone says, reflect on it and consider, well, yes, um, you have a point. What's the one thing you don't have in your life that you would really like? My own house. <laughs> oh, probably more affection. Are you a slave to fashion? Not really, no. I've I've tried to, over the last few years, be much more conscious about clothes and what I'm wearing and what I'm buying. Yeah, kind of reusing what I have or like making stuff out of what I have. So I don't think I'm a slave to fashion, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I don't I don't look very much at what things are going on, but I, I like to have my own look. I mean, that was one of the things that happened before I came out in my teens. I think it was an unconscious way that I was starting to move towards coming out in that I rejected dressing in the way that everyone around me was dressing. And I found my own look. And, and I just really enjoyed having that and, and and so it's the same now I mean although my look is not particularly unique but it's just it's how I feel comfortable in myself rather than looking at what's the latest fashion and then wearing it because that's what's fashionable who would you choose as your sugar daddy oh my god <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what age would cast as sugar daddy but Matt Bomber is like fit <laughs> I'd be more likely to have a sugar son, but... <laughs> How much of a kid are you? Well, that's a funny one, isn't it? Um, in some ways, I think I stay connected with my child quite well. Uh, even today, I went for a walk and um, it's a nature trail near me and I... I decided to go up into uh, some pathways up the at the top of the slope and um, there was a guy walking along the other way and he, for some reason we just because he is a very narrow path so we had to stop to pass each other and he, he just said oh I'm up here exploring and it's like oh I said oh yeah it's a great place here isn't it to just really it's like because normally it's the children who are running up and down this little path um and then he looked at me and he said do you know there's like a secret park just along here i was i was looking into it earlier and i'm just wondering what it is because it looks really overgrown but it's you can't access it from here so I said, oh no i don't he said do you want to come and explore it it's like yeah let's go and have a look and so then we walked back along this path and clambered over a fence and got into this bit of woodland uh walked around it and eventually came to the end and, and then it opened into some gardens and a, a block of flats. 
So it was just an abandoned segment of their garden. And then we clambered out again and sort of said goodbye. And I just felt like, oh, that was great. That was like being a boy just going out for a wander. And then another boy says to him, I've seen this secret place. Do you want to come and explore it? And I'm like, yes, let's go and explore. <laughs> oh, massive. I'm I'm a massive big kid. Um, I, I did uh, like a workshop at the beginning of last year, which was about rediscovering your inner child and realized that like that is that part of me was so like unloved um not not by anyone um externally but just by myself and like i'd forgotten that part of me is so important with my creativity and my like reckless abandon what was the best advice your parents ever gave you follow your dreams um my my family always been so supportive and have always said that they'll they'll support me no matter what so to to really go after what i want my mum told me when i was growing up uh, that when i was a child she'd read cahill gibbon's the prophet and that there was a line in there that really meant a lot to her which was your child is not your own it is life longing for itself and so I always grew up with that sense and that in a way my mother was saying to me that, you know, I had the freedom to feel that I wasn't owned by her and I didn't have to, you know, do anything um, simply to make her happy. I was life longing for itself. What are your main concerns about growing old? What am I most worried about? <laughs> As long as I've got like people around me that I love and love me, um, I don't think there's much to worry about. <laughs> I don't really think about it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm already 50, so technically, at least from when I was 20, I am old. <laughs> when I looked at 50 year olds when I was 20, I'd be like, oh, you're so old. My grandfather was, you know, probably 50 when I was a teenager, and that seemed ancient. What does your God look like? Oh, good question. Um, I don't think he has a form. They have a form. She has a form. I think God is everywhere. It's us. It's nature. It's We're all made up of the same thing. I think we're all so connected by this force. And yeah, I think God is within us all. And it's reflected back at us through through the people we love. So it's God is everywhere, whether it's a he, she, they, them, it's. What a fascinating question. Very much a, a, a pagan God. Um, uh, so I would say probably a, a mix of uh, Thor, and Aries, uh, drawing on the, uh, the sort of masculine polarity, um, and Green Tara from the uh, Tibetan tradition, who is a female uh, bodhisattva who represents compassion. Uh, so somehow it would be a it wouldn't be 
a God that was simply a single form. It would be a God that manifested different forms. How do you keep your schoolboy complexion? Uh, I take cold showers, uh, and so that helps to tone up the skin. Uh, and I do the five Tibetan rites. I was taught that when I was in the monastery when I was around 27 or so. Uh, and I've done those regularly, and, and, and they're said to reverse and delay aging. So that all helps. Um, <laughs> moisturizer. Are you a good flirt? I don't feel very confident flirting, but I feel very confident chatting people up. Oh God. <laughs> um, not great. I'm really bad at recognizing when people are flirting with me. And I, I like, if I'm ever out, I mean, this has been years now since uh, we could actually go to clubs and people would flirt with me. Um, no, like my friends would be like, you do realize that guy was flirting with you? And I was like, who? And then I'm like, oh, fuck, he was. And yeah, so I'm very bad. Um, How has your identity as a Buddhist monk or a drag queen helped and hindered you discover who you are? No, it definitely hasn't hindered. I think everyone should do drag. It's, it's amazing. Like, there's so many things since doing drag that have just been, that have made so much more sense. Um, and yeah, getting to getting to express your the sides of yourself which maybe you didn't feel comfortable with day to day or like before you've tried them in drag. Drag is is like the permission to just say fuck it. It helped me in that it gave me a very clear sense that I could have a focus and a uh, clarity around living a life with meaning. So there was a sense that, you know, my, um, my life was really dedicated to this path of awakening and as much as I experienced that within myself, being able to share it with others or, or, or share being on the path with others and encouraging others to explore for themselves how to feel happier, more content, uh, more fulfilled within themselves. It definitely hindered me in that uh, it gave a rationale for trying to escape from my sexuality and become celibate for 12 years. Uh, and to spend that time from sort of 21 to 34 really fighting my sexuality and uh, feeling that that was a part of myself that was wrong or to be rejected. Oh, it's been massively helpful in finding myself. Um, I think it's just made me care less about like people's opinion of me. Um, getting to Getting to like express different parts of my personality even if it's through a different character has really helped me understand myself have you enjoyed being on the first ever hopecast star test yeah great i mean my i i my 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 uh critical mind is, is immediately sort of like oh my god i could have said much better things about buddhism or about sort of why <laughs> so it's, like, I, i'm probably going to hate it going out but um, it was it was really interesting to to have. To...
I feel like I'm on a little talk show. It's quite fun. <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed listening to this extra cast as much as I have. It's been great hearing from Nick and from Matt. So similar in so many ways and so wonderfully different. Please do follow us on all the socials at Hopecast Podcast. You can visit our website at hopecastpodcast.com. We're looking for your problems to be solved in our agony section called What Would Buddha Do? And you can email them to us at wwbd at hopecastpodcast.com. And thank you so much to everyone who's already left us a review or a rating or a comment. If you've messaged us, it's absolutely brilliant to get a sense of what you take from this podcast. Uh, We're definitely learning as we go, so please do stay in touch. And we'll see you soon for the next episode with our full panel. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Goodbye.